Welcome to the Best Kept Secret videocast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to our show, where our guests share their provocative perspective on what their target market is missing out on. I am happy to welcome to the show, Jonathan Barnes of Work Heartily. Jonathan and his team provide fractional leadership for growing and changing businesses in the areas of sales strategy, technology, and operations. Jonathan is based in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Jay. This is great to be here. One of the fun things Jonathan and I have been able to participate in my career is starting businesses literally from the ground up and then being involved in their growth all the way through established professional companies, and even in one case, getting one all the way to the public markets. And I can tell you that that journey was never what I thought it was going to be before I started down the path. And one of the things that was a real aha to me is when I would start to build my team, and you know, let's say my first 20, 25 plus or minus people. You know, I went out and I recruited people. They were great. They were passionate. They loved what I was doing. They loved the business. And then we would keep on growing and we would get to that next level where all of a sudden we needed people with a little bit more experience, people with who were more professional in their in their leadership, who brought in certain functional skills that we needed for the business. And to my surprise, most of the early team resigned and left. And the reason they consistently gave me was, this isn't the company that I joined. You've changed, and that's not why I came here. And of course, yes, I did change because we were growing. And what we needed when we were 20 people is not what we needed when we were, say, 60 people. And then, of course, you would get through that stage as quickly as you could and then became a professional team where you could bring on full-time executives, had a lot of experience, who could professionalize and scale the entire business. But here was the interesting part. It was that middle stage, that transitionary stage between, let me call it a mom and pop, where you had that family environment and atmosphere, everything was pretty loose in terms of how you ran things. And then what did you do to transition from that all the way to a full professional scalable business? And and back, uh, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Uh, You know, this is in the 90s and the aughts primarily. We used to call that you had to get through no man's land. And everyone was firing at you and you just tried to keep your head down, go as fast as you could to try to get to the other side and really hope you didn't get killed. But so many companies failed during that 
transitionary stage because while, you know, I can speak from my experience, while I needed a more senior executive team, I couldn't afford to bring them on because our starting point was a mom and pop, not, you know, that I had all this capital to bring the people on to get me to the next level. Now, you and your team at Work Heartily, you really cover the gamut of professional management across all the critical areas of a business. So I'd like to get your take on companies that needing to get out of mom and pop land and get to be well-established, significant, clear mid-market, if not larger enterprises. What's the view today on this no man's land and how do you get through it? That's a great question, Jay. I, you know, there's a there's a good book out there uh, called Predictable Success from Les McCowan. He talks about this. You said no man's land. He calls it whitewater. But it's essentially the same t- concept. You go, you know, a simplified version, of course, is stage one through stage three, call it. Stage one is your mom and pop, like you mentioned. Stage three is enterprise level and everything. You know, you can imagine like a board meeting and you've got chief legal officer, chief marketing officer. You've got... Uh, sales, uh, operations, finance, technology, they're all at the board table. But when you're in that mom and pop kind of transition into that enterprise, what's what's happening in stage two is walking through that whitewater, a lot of churn. And a lot of people say, this isn't for me. I want to go back. Or like you mentioned earlier, um, some some folks just want to don't want to stay because they really enjoy the fun stage, uh, quote unquote, the early stage. And so I, I think a lot of people have a, um, you know, it's kind of that sheer grit that they try to get through. And uh, founders, at least, uh, usually feel like they've got some wherewithal in all the different um, executive functions, but they might not have the bandwidth to take care of all of those. Uh, or they might recognize that they don't have the talent with uh, the CFO or the uh, chief information officer type function or the chief revenue officer. Um, And so they outsource some of that. I think what's missing sometimes is direct leadership of those functions like it is at the, you know, the stage three, so to speak. You know, I always think about people, process systems and infrastructure uh, that you needed a business at any point in time. And when you're in that mom and pop phase, the level of sophistication you need is is pretty small and you're doing it out of force of personality you're doing it because you're a little bit, say, jack of all trades, but the master of none, but you don't need any masters yet. You can operate at a very personal level, but we know at the enterprise level, uh, that is doomed to fail. You know, you couldn't, there's no example of any successful enterprise that runs like that. And you, you have that, uh, and, and I think you said it, I, I just want to maybe ask you to elaborate a little bit more. You, you have that, you know, two challenges, which is, one, the level of expertise that you need, because that easy, you know, we don't need a lot of sophistication begins to break down as you start to get bigger, both from a process and systems and infrastructure uh, point of view. And then the second thing is that I run out of time as the founder. You know, when I'm small, I can keep my fingers in all the pies, but I only got 10 fingers and all of a sudden I got a lot more than 10 pies. And and now what am I going to do? Like, everything begins to fall apart if I don't change. So talk about a little more of some of the experiences that you've seen about the struggles that 
companies have when they try to make that leap from mom and pop to enterprise? Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, I've talked to a few people in my career that say, I don't really want to grow. I just really want, I'm, I'm comfortable in this way and comfortable with more of a lifestyle business. And they don't necessarily need to have specific executive functions. But there are some entrepreneurs and founders out there that have this desire to get there, but don't know how to get there. And so you're right. They get burned out. Honestly, it's a, it's a, I said bandwidth earlier, but I think it's more of the, the time. You might actually have a lot of talent in several different executive functions. You wouldn't be here as a founder without that. But you're, uh, you don't have enough time in the day to get the, the appropriate amount of attention to lead. It's not doing as much as leading departments within your company to get to that next level. And so a lot of people will say, you know, I can't afford it in terms of time or I can't afford it in terms of money. Um, and so how do they get there? Uh, it, it's a it's a function of finding the time uh, and having the right budget uh, to, to kind of move throughout that uh, to have the appropriate level of executive um, you know, focus. So, so, Jonathan, let's imagine I am that founder that has the ambitions. I want to grow. I want to scale. Ultimately, what that means is I want to create a business that is not solely and entirely dependent upon myself. I, there's a lot of examples once I'm at that enterprise level, how to do it, but how should you manage that transition of going from a founder dominated, let's call it a mom and pop to an enterprise level? What, what do you do? How do you think about it? Yeah. You know, a great example is um, somebody I was actually talking to this week. Uh, he's in the process of raising money. He can't afford the executive level functions, but he knows he needs it because he's run out of time already. It's a technology company growing. And so he has started to outsource pretty much every single part of his, um, the doing, you know? And so where I, I think that's where you would start. That's what I would do. I'd start to outsource. That's what I did in my, my previous uh company is to outsource all the functions that I knew needed some attention, but I could still manage, you know, I could still understand and, and give some feedback. And so as it grows, then you start thinking through who's going to lead that function. Uh, and so I think that's his next stage is to kind of move through that and say, who's going to lead that function for, uh, you know, call it, you know, operations or sales or you know, maybe the, uh, you know, customer service operations side of things, uh, or technology as well. So it, there's, I think those, those are the many stages you can take and that I see that has worked. That's how I would navigate. So let me just uh, comment uh, for a minute on the outsource part. And I think where that works and then where I could see it breaking down. So the advantage of outsourcing is if, assuming by the way, that you know who to pick, which not <laughs> which you don't always, right? And you get burned. But uh, assuming that you do, uh, what you're really buying is expertise and, and that, that the process systems infrastructure that somebody else is managing, but it is in a silo because that's what they do. And before long, you realize you have two problems. One is who's managing the outsourcer because they're not your business. Right. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, exactly. You just talked about the doers. You know, at the very stage one, you you just multiplied your doers. Doers who who know something about the the subject, but they're not being managed. And the second issue I have is successful businesses don't operate in silos. You need to bring these things together 
And that doesn't happen by magic. And it's certainly not going to happen when I've got, you know, someone who's managing my IT infrastructure, someone who's managing my customer service, someone who's doing my marketing campaigns, someone who's doing, you know, uh, inbound uh, sales. How do you bring those together if you've outsourced them all? That's a great point. I think that's a huge challenge as you multiply the doers and multiply the outsourcing. It's kind of a, you know, how do you how do you create a liaison between uh, or manage those specific executive functions or so those departments? Uh, that's when the founder runs out of time, and then those those different departments or silos. You know, step all over each other or they you know don't communicate well and so it looks bad to your end users or your customers or clients when you're not coordinating conversations internally so it is a huge challenge uh, and you know people walk through it in different ways uh, but I think it's it's more common uh, than not to have those challenges absolutely and, and if again I think if you study businesses that have successfully scaled and, and grown, there, there's life cycles of these things. You know, I'm going to outsource. And by the way, not all outsourcers are the same. Some are good in handling certain size businesses, others different size businesses. And, and you go through cycles sometimes of saying, all right, I, I've got someone else to handle the function for me to now I may need to bring it back in house because of how I have to integrate uh, my, my teams, my delivery, my service offering, what have you. And then you might get to another point where you say, okay, now I can offload this again. But you need to have that executive team that has been through the wars, that has that experience. They're the last thing you want if you're trying to go from a startup mom and pop through to enterprise is have your you and your executive team, this being, to use that expression, their first rodeo. You're never going to make it if everybody collectively is doing this for the first time. So just talk a little bit about how before I can afford to bring on that permanent enterprise level team, how do I how do I cover getting the right talent where I don't necessarily have the cash to hire full time? Yeah, you know, I've seen some, uh, you know, founders say, oh, I'm just going to outsource it. And they they can communicate with my team, kind of kind of cross their fingers and hope that happens. Um, nine times out of ten, if you don't have somebody coordinating within, uh, you're going to lose out on several critical conversations that happen on a weekly, monthly basis. So I have seen um, you know some people go ahead and hire you know or try to hire that that right person to to lead. Sometimes it is a gamble because the person you need is expensive, and to focus their time fully on that executive function it is expensive and you're and you're you're worried that you're are you going to be able to gather you know get more clients to pay for this person's salary to offset the cost uh it's it's a it keeps people up at night that is a uh, an opportunity to have a leader uh potentially that is that's not full-time to help coordinate to be a, a liaison between the doers in the field or the doers on the team and those executive functions and then also manage you know goal setting uh communicating that back to the strategic 
vision that the founder has, and maybe even assisting with a strategic vision that, you know, maybe the, the founder is really excited about technology, but doesn't necessarily know all the different ins and outs of technology. You have a liaison in the information, uh, kind of a chief information officer world that can say, this is the strategy that you have, and this is how we're going to implement it technology-wise. Uh, but doing so on a part-time uh, interim basis. And I think, Jonathan, that the term du jour is a fractional CXO, where X is the area that you're bringing the person in. I, I'm just going to observe two uh, benefits of, of that that uh, should not, in my view, be overlooked. You know, one is that it's much lower risk. You have not brought them on as a senior member of the team, where not only do you have all the W-2 issues, but if you want to get real serious talent, you're going to be giving probably some ownership, direct or indirectly, in your business. And yet, you don't know if these are the right people. And the second thing is, have you ever hired someone at that level before? Because you're now trying to get ahead of the curve in bringing that full-time executive in ahead of time. And so you need to be sure, not only are they going to be good when you're at the enterprise level, when you can really justify them full-time, but they're also able to operate at the pre-stage where you're in this transition, then get you there. Some, some folks are great at the enterprise level, but they would not be successful at getting you uh, to the enterprise level. And if I can bring in people that really focus on the issues of that uh, uh, that stage two, the whitewater stage, or as I called it, the, uh, the no man's land stage, they can then help you recruit their replacement because they're coming in with the, I am not here forever. I am just here to get you successfully through stage two and into stage three, where I bow out and the full-time replacement uh, comes in. That, I think, is a great segue into the next thing I want to ask you is that, what have you seen in terms of how these companies benefit by adopting this fractional approach to get them through stage two so they can hit that period of stability in stage three? Sure. I think a, a great distinct uh, a distinction between a fractional executive and a consultant uh, is, is important here because a consultant is therefore mostly a project. You know, usually it's an hourly rate they're really working on. They might be working and helping with a specific division, but you know, they're one and done, they're out, uh, or they're not necessarily engaged with the day-to-day -day, uh, or weekly cadence uh, meetings with, uh, with the executive. I think the, where I've seen it be very successful uh, is compared to a consultant, a fractional executive is essentially embedded on the team. And so they're involved with all the executive level functions with with the team and um, you know the weekly cadence with the, with the actual team plus the executive uh, the executive team and the founder. Uh, but you know because of the stage of the company because of their experience they're extremely efficient and they don't have to spend as much quote unquote you know they don't have hours or time you know it's not an hourly type um, arrangement it's more of a you're going to get me on demand you'll have me. You'll, I'll be embedded on all these different uh, emails and uh, team, uh, team weekly meetings, um, and I'm going to get my stuff done for you and fulfill the, the strategic vision within my department. Uh, but I'm also engaged and excited about helping you out throughout this stage, no matter if it's a four-month engagement or it's a couple of years where you need to move forward through a larger transition. I think that's where I've seen a, a huge difference. Um, 
to be able to have you know kind of budgetary, uh, fiscally responsible type uh, issues with your with your budget, but also uh, embedded on the team. Uh, absolutely, and I think what I have seen is if I have say a fractional CFO, when I am interacting with external constituents or even people internally. This is my CFO. The fact that they're not full-time is irrelevant to any other stakeholder, right? They manage everybody in the finance department. They engage as part of the management team and they engage and manage all the external constituents that you would expect a CFO to do, as opposed to a consultant who's coming in and you don't say, oh, this is the consultant who's my CFO, you say, Here, here's a guy that's helping me out to get our finance function done. But it, it, it's a very project focused and everyone understands they're not part of the team. They're just coming in as an outsider, do what they do and get out. There is a world of difference. And in, in my experience, you're one or the other. You, you don't sit there and say, well, I'm both a fractional executive and a consultant. Let's take uh, the perspective of, if you will, the founder. And we, we, I think we've alluded to the journey through the stages, but I want to hit a little bit on the emotional side. And what's that like when a founder, in effect, tries to go it alone and uh, is saying, I either have to do this with myself or my stage one team, or I've got to somehow figure out how I can afford to bring on my stage three team earlier versus saying you have got a, a purposefully designed team to get you through that stage two. So talk about the emotional impact of, of the founder doing it what I would call the old school way because when I was doing it, there were no fractional executives who hadn't been created yet, uh, you know, versus what they're capable of today. What's that feel like? Well, as a founder uh, myself, I can tell you how it, it has helped me, uh, but also just in other uh, conversations I've had. I mean, it is the, I mentioned this earlier, what keeps you up at night, right? Most people are really worried about the growth and can they make payroll? That's I, I, I think that's the biggest can we make payroll this month? You know, some of those money pressures that you have. And I think if you have a large, a large overhead uh, with massive salaries, like to your point about, can I hire them earlier with before the revenue comes? Uh, it, it creates a huge emotional uh, turmoil. Now, some people are very, you know, have high uh, risk profiles and they're fine. But I think at the core of every of every founder is what if this doesn't work, <laughs> and you know what if I can't cover this. So I think emotionally being able to have what I've seen with fractional executives is they know things are getting taken care of. They're, it's not as expensive as hiring an FTE full time employee or equivalent, but they have expertise that's way beyond potentially way beyond what the founder knows about that specific function. So you're hiring somebody with decades of experience in revenue generation or with marketing or with, you know, like you mentioned, a CFO or COO, a CIO, CTO, all those, all those CXOs. And you are, you have peace of mind and it's, it's a budgetary. So it's really three things. It's peace of mind, helps it on the budget. And you also have somebody you can talk to that's accessible. That's not just a consultant that's going to bill you hourly, but, or work on this project. It's going to be giving you advice and talking to you about your strategic vision for the company. So now I'm sitting here saying, okay, I'd like to move forward with uh, bringing in uh, the, the expertise I need. Uh, fractionally, because I'm in, if you will, stage two, and to help me get to stage three. So tactically, 
tell me what what is it that I need to do from a, a process point of view to go down this path and make this happen? Yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody, like we said, but if you are in that stage, I think you need to assess really where you are in all of your functions. And, you know, a good practice is to think about where do, where do I want to be in three years from now? And then do some, you know, backwards thinking <laughs> and think like, okay, kind of, you know, begin with the end in mind. Let's think about where I want to be in three years. And then is that a year three, year two, or year one type of initiative? And then think through where, how can I get uh, that specific department to where it needs to be at the end of year one, year two, and year three to, to fit within my grand vision? And I would say most founders are those futurist kind of visionaries. So they're probably going to, it's probably gonna be easy for them to see like where they want to be in three years, but it, it takes a little bit of time to think through, okay, well, in that specific department and that specific team, where do I want to be? Uh, so a SWOT analysis, some, some, some assessments to think through all those things uh, is really helpful before you say, well, I, I definitely need somebody in the ops role, or I, I definitely need somebody to take over this, the information technology strategy. I just want to share with my listeners, I did it a number of times the hard way. It was probably the most unpleasant part of my journey, which was trying to get through and manage stage two. I think Jonathan has given us a very compelling way to rethink that traditional approach and just get much better outcomes, both objectively and emotionally as we go through it. So we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna learn a bit more about Jonathan. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 01 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking to Jonathan Barnes of Work Heartily. Let's find out a bit more about Jonathan. I want to start by understanding you and your team. What are the pain points you solve for your clients and why do they need you to get rid of the pain? You know, we really um, are focused in on sales and business development. Uh, so it's chief revenue officer work as well as chief information officer and chief technology officer work. More of the information uh, technology strategy, as well as being liaison for the technology teams. So we work a lot with people that are out in the field, as well as in the corporate world, kind of try to think through like what vendors should we work with, what software should we uh, purchase that kind of that can help us. Where should we consolidate? Where should we expand? So those are strategic directions, as well as uh, tactical decisions, uh, operations, policies, procedures, uh, and uh, it's. 
it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I think the the pain points uh, is much to what we alluded to earlier is just how do I grow uh, and how can I give peace of mind to the, the founder, but also propel that business forward? I mean, I'm passionate. Our team, are, we're passionate about growing and ch- helping businesses change, especially if they recognize it and they know they want to and they haven't seen the, the best path to get there yet. Uh, and we're excited to, to think through that and get them through that pain point um, in the, you know, the most cost effective and efficient way possible. Jonathan, there's a, a great saying that I found I find is almost universally true, which is you are the company that you keep. Uh, if I work with someone who's average or mediocre, that's a reflection on me and my standards and my capabilities. So as a result, any savvy, successful founder only want to work with the best. So I'm going to ask you, what makes you and your team great at what they do? Sure. I mean, I can speak from experience as a founder. I started a a staffing company in the healthcare IT space from scratch, from nothing. It's just me and a phone and an email address. And I carried that to an Inc. 5000. Uh, actually, it was an Inc. 500 um, uh, fastest growing private companies in America, 2019. Uh, multiple awards and accolades, but that, the accolades don't really matter as much as growing a company from zero to significance. And so I've been there in terms of my career. I've also been in you know the startup world and big corporate and been sort of an entrepreneur, so to speak, as they... Uh, as they were iterating different uh, branch offices and trying to find new opportunities. So my experience is that, and I love to work with people that have that drive to grow and grow in the right way. Work with me, yes, but also with my team. You know, decades of experience working with large enterprise organizations, so they understand the enterprise field as well as small startups uh, on the sales, technology, and operations side. So we are really excited uh, to bring that expertise to bear. These are people that I work with, professionals that have been in the C-suite, have had C before their name, you know, their title, and, uh, you know, have 15, 20, 30 years of experience doing the things day to day. And what they're excited about is bringing that to multiple clients um, within their domain. I would encourage our listeners to go to LinkedIn connect with Jonathan, look at his profile, get a sense of the work experience he talks about, his educational background, and all the things that LinkedIn gives you. But Jonathan, I have a slightly different question for you. I'd like to know what's happened in your life that would most explain why you do what you do today? I mentioned the company I started uh, back in 2014. Uh, I led that company and during right at the very beginning of the pandemic, we needed to save cash. <laughs> uh, we didn't know what was going on. It was March 2020. And so I stepped away from the company as CEO. I'm still the founder, stepped away from the company day to day. And I just thought through like what, you know, I started work heartily the same month that I left and thought, okay, well, if I could offer my expertise to others that are struggling or trying to grow in the midst of the pandemic, of course, but also uh, even now people are, need this help. That uh, to me was a uh, turning point for me uh, in my career. Uh, it was, uh, I'm passionate about growth. I'm passionate about helping companies find the right talent. Previously been in staffing before, so I understand that process and why it's so important to have the right team. I, I did that with my previous company, found the right team. Uh, and so it's it's exciting to be able to do that. But that 
to me, it was, it was a, it was very painful to leave something that I started from, you know, it's sort of like losing a child. I know it's not the equivalent, but it feel, it felt very much of a loss and I was mourning that. And so I wanted to be able to uh, regain some of the, um, the excitement about growth and help others, uh, other people grow their companies as well. Jonathan, you got a lot of very interesting things to say to our listeners today. I'm going to assume that uh, many of them will want to reach out to continue the conversation. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn. So Jonathan Barnes, uh, you can also email me, jb at workheartily.com or just go to my website, workheartily.com. Very easy to find me. I I love to do... um, strategy sessions. Uh, So you can find me and and I've got a calendar link uh, right there on the front page. Well, I think that uh, people will absolutely benefit from reaching out and continuing the conversation. Uh, I will put all your contact information into the show notes and as an insert into the video and make it easy for folks to reach out. And Jonathan, you know what? An amazing conversation. I think you have really highlighted critical issue. Any founder who's starting out and has been doing this and wants to get to the enterprise level is going to have to deal with. And it's so refreshing to hear that there is a better way, the traditional way of doing this. And and look, I'll be honest with you. uh, This was great. Uh, I know that uh, my colleagues who, who have their own shows right now, they'd be doing the happy dance. They'd be saying, woo, right? I nailed this one. What a great guest. My listeners are going to love me. And they would say, well, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. But, I'm, you know, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, a, yeah, I, I'm a little stubborn, Jonathan. I, I don't know when to stop when it comes to advocating for my listeners. So as good as you are, and, and trust me when I, I say that to you, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking in my mind, he can up the ante. I, I think he can do a little bit more. and. Um, I know that you have given a lot of value to uh, our listeners, but how about sweetening the pot? Why don't you offer a little gift in return for them uh, sticking with you? What can you do? Uh, sure. That's awesome. I, um, you know, I usually do a, a 45 minute kind of strategy session. I'd love to extend that, expand that. Let's just do a full hour free strategy session. Book it on my website and uh, make sure you mention that you heard uh, me or us uh, through the show. Um, that way I can know to, that it might say 45 minutes. I can expand that and make sure I go over and, and create enough uh, buffer. But yeah, that would be, I would love to do that for you, for you and your listeners. Hey, it's an extra third of this gentleman's time, which is incredibly valuable. So let's take, let's take Jonathan up on that. Jonathan, again, thank you. Thank you for being such a great guest to my audience. Let's continue to crush it out there until next time.